Twelve Senate Republicans say they will join House Republicans in challenging electoral votes. Two Republican senators fight for their lives in Georgia. And the New York Times cheers on a hit job against a 15-year-old girl. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Today's show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Protect your data online with the VPN I trust. Visit expressvpn.com slash Ben. Speaking of which, social media companies, you know, they think that you shouldn't be able to decide what information you can and cannot see. This is something we found out throughout last year. So why exactly would you give them your data so that you could then have that data monetized against all of your interests? Instead, why not protect your data the way that I do with ExpressVPN? One big problem with big tech companies, not only do they censor what you read, they will actually track what you do online. They track what you're searching for, the videos you watch, everything you click. They use that data to serve you ads that can match your activity to your offline identity using your device's unique IP address. Well, when I use ExpressVPN, these tech companies can no longer see my IP address because my identity is masked and anonymized by a secure VPN server. Plus, ExpressVPN also encrypts 100% of your data to protect you from hackers and internet bad guys, which is a pretty important thing. It's not complicated, by the way. You can just download the app and you put it on your devices and you hit one button and it's good to go. I mean, your grandmother could do it. Why give tech companies a free license to know everything about you and then turn around and sell off your information? Instead, take back your privacy at expressvpn.com slash Ben. Visit my special link. Get an extra three months of ExpressVPN service for free. It's a great way to get the new year started off right by protecting yourself. Go to expressvpn.com slash Ben, E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash Ben to protect your data today. Okay, so we are back and better than ever. It's a brand new year. And surely this year cannot be stupider than the last year. Yeah, so... About that. So many things have happened while I was out. Aside from my children badgering me, and aside from me not getting enough sleep as I, as I should have over the break, it turns out many stupid things happened over the course of the, of the break. Perhaps the stupidest was this thing that happened in Congress yesterday. I'm just going to mention this briefly because it, it is indicative of where this year is going, and then we'll get to the actual big news stories of the day. So yesterday, Congress opened with a prayer. The prayer with which Congress opened is, I believe, the stupidest thing I have ever heard in all my life, in all my life. And I've heard many stupid things. I mean, I literally do a political talk show, so I hear stupid things on a daily basis. So yesterday, the, the person who opens with the opening prayer, Democratic Congress, obviously, opens by saying this. We ask it in the name of the monotheistic God, Brahma and God known by many names, by many different faiths. A man and a woman. So just to be straight, this human said, amen and a women. And now, as the designated Jew in your political life, let me just remind you as a, as a Hebrew speaker, the word amen is not an English word. It comes from the Hebrew word, amen, which you say after prayers, which can originally be traced etymologically speaking to the word emet, which means truth. The idea of amen is solidarity, right? May it be so, or it's true, right? That's what amen means. Okay, it was then brought into Greek and Latin and then passed along to English. The word amen has literally nothing to do with gender. It does not mean a man. It means amen. In other words, it is a sign. It's like hallelujah, right? It's a sign of solidarity, right? That's, that's what it is, is an exclamation. And yet somehow, Leftists have decided that the term amen, because it is spelled A-M-E-N and includes the word men, somehow is gendered language. And so we are also supposed to say after prayers, a women. So a few things. Number one, not only is that radically stupid on an etymological level, I mean, you would have to take the word amen 
take it down to the pit of despair from the princess bride, put the torture machine on it and torture it until it tosses out some sort of gendered variant. Not only is that stupid on that level, it would also then be meaningless. Why would you end a prayer, any prayer, and then just say, man, like what? That doesn't make any sense at all. It's idiotic. Beyond that, it's doubly idiotic because it turns out that people on the left don't actually believe that men and women are real concepts, right? They're malleable, men and women. So what they really should say, just to be tolerant, is not a men and a women. They should say a men, a women, and a gender is a social construct that is unconnected to biological sex, but also a biological imperative, and then bow their heads. That's where that should end. So well done all the way through, everybody. That's, um, that's a great way to start the year. And I think that the year can only get dumber from here, unfortunately. Okay, so over the weekend, huge news breaks from the Washington Post. The huge news that breaks from the Washington Post is this phone call that President Trump and his chief of staff, Mark Meadows, had with Brad Raffensperger, who is the Georgia Secretary of State. It is an hour-long phone call. The Washington Post originally released about a four-minute segment of it. Then they released the entire transcript and the entire phone call. And it's not great. When I say it's not great, I think it's not great for, for several reasons. I'm going to explain what it is and, one, and what it is not. So we're going to play just a couple of clips from this hour-long phone call because they give you an idea of what the phone call is. Basically, it runs along a couple of tracks. One is the president saying a lot of things about Georgia voting that are unsubstantiated by evidence to this point. He says the tens of thousands of dead people voted in Georgia. There's not evidence to that effect. He says that Dominion machines are rigged. There's not evidence to that effect. He says a lot of things that are just not substantiated by the evidence. Okay, so that is track one. It's just him throwing out a bunch of things that he has heard about the irregularities and voter fraud in Georgia. And Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State, saying that's, that's bad information. That is track number one. Then there is track number two. And track number two is the president saying that, repeat, and he says this repeatedly, that he wants Georgia to basically rejigger their calculation so that he won the state. So a lot of people are reading that statement as though Trump is trying to blackmail the Secretary of State of Georgia into manufacturing votes so that he wins the state. But the two statements are related. In other words, Trump believes that there was widespread voter fraud and voter irregularity in Georgia. Again, he has not provided proofs to that effect. I believe that there is an ongoing court case to that effect. Even if he were to flip it in Georgia, by the way, it wouldn't shift the outcome of the election because Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Arizona, et cetera. But say, for example, that, that you know all that were brought in court, you can make those allegations in court, but many of the things that he has alleged have not actually been proved. The evidence has not been provided. What he is saying in this call over and over again is the same thing that, that Trump always says, which is he has a bunch of ideas. He spews them out, right, in, in a sort of garbled fashion. And then he finishes up by saying, and here's what I want. It's the same thing as the Ukraine phone call. And a bunch of ideas about Joe Biden and about Burisma and about Hunter Biden. He was not making threats. Okay, there's not evidence here that he actually threatened Raffensperger with anything. Right? He doesn't have the power to threaten Raffensperger with, with anything because Raffensperger hasn't committed a crime. When he says things like you're taking a big political risk, that happens to be true, right? I mean, it is a big political risk for Raffensperger. This has been true since Trump decided to basically contest the Georgia election. But th there are some things that are true about this call and some things that are false about the call. And so we'll play a couple of clips of it, and then I'll explain what is true about the call and what is false about the call. And then we'll get to the broader issue, which is that Republicans, uh, as, of, as of Wednesday, are now planning, some Republicans in the Senate are planning to challenge Electoral College results. We'll get to that in just one second. Here, let's play the phone call first. So here was President Trump with Brad Raffensperger talking about Dominion voting systems. Now, do you think it's possible that they uh, shredded ballots in uh, Fulton County? Because that's what the rumor is. And also that Dominion took out machines. 
that Dominion is really moving fast to get rid of their uh, machinery. Do you know anything about that? Because that's illegal. No, Ryan Germany. No, Dominion is not. Um, moved any machinery out of Fulton County? We're having. Well, but no, but, but have they moved? Have they have they moved the inner parts of the machines and replaced them with other parts? No. Are you sure, Ryan? I'm sure. Okay, so as you can tell, it's not that Trump is like very thoroughly prepared when it comes to Dominion. He's heard some things. I mean, again, this is not a shock. This is how Trump has operated literally his entire political career. Is that he hears a thing. He then puts it out of his mouth, and it is a different thing. Right? So he says, have you guys been shipping into Minion voting machines? And Raffensperger guy says, no, that no machines have been shipped out of state. And they said, well, have you taken parts out of Dominion voting machines? And we're now in the realm of, of things that are unevidenced. Okay, so that is line one. Then there's line two. And this is the stuff the media is really going crazy over. And that is Trump repeatedly talking about the number of votes by which he lost Georgia. Right? So he says... What are we going to do here, folks? I only need 11,000 votes. Fellas, I need 11,000 votes. Give me a break. So, look, all I want to do is this. I just want to find uh, 11,780 votes, which is one more than we have, because we won the state. So as you hear there, he says, look, all I want to do is this. I just want to find 11,780 votes, which is one more than we have because we won the state. Okay, so what the media are saying, he is saying, is that he is saying to Raffensperger, I want you to manufacture those votes out of thin air. And I don't care whether there was voter fraud or voter irregularity. I want you to go under your bed, and I want you to find votes for Donald Trump, and then I want you to retally. That's not what Trump is saying, right? What Trump is saying is he believes that there was widespread voter fraud and voter irregularity. Undoubtedly, there was more voter fraud and voter irregularity than the margin of victory for Joe Biden in the state. And therefore, he should be declared the winner of the state. He's not ordering Raffensperger to, to manufacture votes out of thin air. He's not ordering Raffensperger to magically come up with 12,000 votes. That's not what he's doing. It's bad enough what he's doing. Now, the reason it's bad enough what he's doing is because if you actually care about voter fraud and voter irregularity, you shouldn't be tying that to results. What you should say is, I'm concerned about voter fraud. I'm concerned about voter irregularity. There are a bunch of outstanding allegations that have been made that you have not answered. And so I want specific answers on those, not because the margin of victory is the key issue, not because I want you to get to that 12,000 votes and flip the state, but because I care about voter fraud and voter irregularity. So for people who seriously want to rejigger the system, it can't be a self-interested pursuit. It can't be I care about voter fraud and voter irregularity because it hurt me. It has to be I care about voter fraud and voter irregularity generally, right? That, that is the biggest problem with Trump's phone call, the, the specter of a, of a candidate in an election calling up the election official as president of the United States and telling him that he is upset that the margin is, is 11,000 votes and that he doesn't really care how about the voter fraud and voter irregularity? All he cares about is the margin. That's ugly stuff. Is that criminal stuff? No. People who are suggesting that this is criminal activity, that's silly. It's not criminal activity. People who are suggesting that Trump is, quote unquote, threatening Raffensperger. I read the entire transcript. There really is not evidence of threatening behavior by Trump. You can say there's a power imbalance in the conversation. That's certainly true. It's certainly true that when the president calls you up and says he wants you to find a thing, that you feel pressure to find the thing. That does not mean that there's an actual attempt by Trump to actually punish Raffensperger in, other, in any way other than the sort of overtly political yelling at Raffensperger, which he's been doing for months since the, since the election itself. Okay, so that was the big story last night is the tape and people suggesting that Trump was trying to get Raffensperger to manufacture votes. That part of the story is not true. It doesn't mean the phone call was good. Again, kind of like Ukraine. 
The phone call can be bad. And also, it cannot be what the media is, is saying that the phone call is. Okay, in just a second, we're going to get to the, the broader issue, right? Because the phone call is off to the side and somewhat irrelevant to the broader issue of what Congress is going to do on January 6th. So we're going to go through the entire process. We're going to talk about what various Congress people and senators are, are talking about doing right now. We'll get to that in just one moment first. Since the beginning of the pandemic, PetSmart has remained open, making sure that you can get everything your pet needs right when you need it at over 1,600 convenient locations. If you got a pet, you got to keep it healthy. We have the Daily Wire pet, Jasper, the most incredible of all dogs. You know how I know that Jasper is such an incredible dog? Because Jasper cannot see me for months, recognize me, and then growl at me. And Jasper knows his enemies. But Jasper also knows his friends, which is why his master, Jeremy Boring, will bring Jasper to PetSmart and get J Jasper the stuff that Jasper needs. Right now, PetSmart is offering free same-day delivery powered by DoorDash through January 31st. You can get everything your pet needs right to your door and right when you need it. PetSmart stores and grooming salons offer digital check-in, curbside drop-off and pickup, contactless payments, so they are as safe as safe can be. PetSmart's associates really love pets. Caring for them is a big part of why they work there. And PetSmart has made it safe and easy for you to care for your pet too online or in stores. If you're interested in contactless shopping, just order online at PetSmart.com or on the PetSmart app and enjoy easy curbside pickup or free same-day delivery powered by DoorDash through January 31st. Go to PetSmart.com for more details because PetSmart is not just pet-friendly. They have great prices, they have fantastic service, and they take care of every pet like they were Jasper, the company dog of the Daily Wire. Check out PetSmart.com for more details today. Okay, so meanwhile, the big story through the week is not going to be this Trump tape, which is going to disappear into the ether as far as people who care about it within the next 48 hours. The media are going to try and blow it into Trump did something quote-unquote impeachable or he committed some sort of criminal offense. No, again, a thing can be bad. It can be immoral without the thing being criminal or impeachable. Okay, but the, the bigger question is what's going to happen on Wednesday. So just to set the stage, the way that this typically works, okay, the actual process under the Electoral Count Act is that, and the, the Electoral Count Act was created in 1887. I'll explain the background in just a second. The way that this works is that members of Congress are empowered to object to individual state electoral college returns. And this is the Congressional Research Service summing up the Electoral College Act as it currently stands. Quote, objections to individual state returns must be made in writing by at least one member each of the Senate and House of Representatives. If an objection meets these requirements, the joint session recesses and the two houses separate and debate the question in their respective chambers for a maximum of two hours, right? You have the House goes to one side, the Senate goes to the other side. They yell at each other about whether these electoral college votes should be counted. The two votes, the two houses then vote separately to accept or reject the objection. They then reassemble in joint session and announce the results of their respective votes. An objection to a state's electoral vote must be approved by both houses in order for any contested votes to be excluded. So on what grounds can you challenge electoral college votes? Well, you can challenge on two grounds. One, that they were not regularly given, right? That's the language of the statute. Or two, that the electors were not, quote unquote, lawfully certified. So regularly given means that the elector was bribed or fraudulent, right? That, that's what regularly given means, that we find out that an elector was supposed to vote for Donald Trump and voted for Joe Biden because Hunter slipped him cocaine or something, right? And then lawfully certified means that the governor has to actually certify the ascertainment process, right? So lawfully certified just means that the governor did what he's supposed to do. And if it was not lawfully certified, then the House can debate this sort of stuff. Under those particular challenges, electors would then be discarded and, uh, and that would change the math necessary for victory. And now, it is not unprecedented for these, thing, these challenges to happen. It is unprecedented for the size and scope of the challenge now being contemplated by the Republicans to happen. We'll get to that in a second. But it's not unprecedented. Back in 2005, January 6th, 2005, according to CNN, 
Alleging widespread irregularities on Election Day, a group of Democrats in Congress objected Thursday to the counting of Ohio's 20 electoral votes, delaying the official certification of the 2004 presidential election results. The move was not designed to overturn the re-election of President Bush, said Ohio Representative Stephanie Tubbs-Jones and California Senator Barbara Boxer, who filed the objection. The objecting Democrats said they wanted to draw attention to the need for aggressive election reform in the wake of what they said were widespread voter problems in Ohio. The House of Representatives and Senate met, this is again in 2005, in a constitutionally mandated session to count the electoral votes. Vice President Dick Cheney presided over the session. The results from each state, read in alphabetical order, were ticked through quickly until Ohio was called. And then a clerk read a letter from Boxer and Tubbs-Jones. And then the chambers had a split. And then they argued about each other or with each other. And then they came back together. And that was sort of the end of, of that particular process. Now, it is worth noting that there was fairly significant, if not support, then tacit unwillingness to shut down Barbara Boxer by some top Democrats. Now, it is true, John Kerry, who was the candidate for the Democrats, disassociated himself from this effort. He said, listen, the election's over. Challenging the electoral votes is, is useless. There, there's no reason to do this. But among people who went silent, James Clyburn, who's now the majority whip for the Democrats, this is Nathan Wurzel reporting, Frank Pallone, now chairman of Energy and, Com and Commerce Committee, Maxine Waters, who's chairwoman of financial services, Ed Markey, who's now a senator, and John Lewis. Right, so there was some support for this, or at least tacit support for this process back in 2005. Now, Barbara Boxer, of course, is claiming there is no comparison. Now, there absolutely is a comparison. Barbara Boxer was the dumbest member of the United States Senate until her retirement. Uh, she has not gained an intelligence since leaving office. Here was Barbara Boxer on CNN the other day. Well, there's no comparison to what Congresswoman Stephanie Tubbs-Jones and I did in 05. Number one, uh, John Kerry had conceded the race. We have a president here who's orchestrating kind of an overthrow of the election. Secondly, we said up front we had no interest. We said up front we had no interest in overturning the election. All we wanted was to focus on voter suppression that we saw in Ohio. Okay, but that, that of course, is not true. The only reason that they challenged the electoral results in Ohio is because they wanted to focus on overturning the election. Okay, so th there is precedent for this. Is there precedent for the candidate themselves to support this effort? No, not really, at least not for 140 years or so. Is there precedent for large swaths of Congress backing this sort of effort? No, there is not. So that is, in fact, unprecedented. So it's not unprecedented for this sort of thing to happen. And it's not unprecedented for these challenges to happen. It happened in 1969, about the 68 election. It happened again in 2005. But for this level of support to be thrown behind it, that is somewhat unprecedented. So we're going to go through the legality here, because I know there's a, a big debate here on the right about what is legal and what is not, what the Constitution is designed to do, how you count electoral votes. We're going to go through all the details in just one second so you know more than you did before this show began. First, let us talk about your future and your specific goals. So one of the things that you probably are thinking about in the middle of this difficult and dark time is getting your resume in order because hopefully in the next few months, the economy is really going to spike as the vaccine hits, as jobs become available. Why not get that resume in order right now and get a better salary and get a better job? This is why you need to think about the University of Arizona Global Campus. University of Arizona Global's ca Global Campus's online bachelor's and master's degree programs allow you to learn on a convenient and flexible schedule. At UAGC, expert faculty teach you real-world skills from real-world experience in online classes built for life's twists and turns. You can learn from home or wherever you happen to feel comfortable. You can pursue a degree in one of UAGC's 60-plus programs like business administration, healthcare administration, and psychology. With 24-7 access to your classroom, daily support, financial aid available, UAGC will give you the tools that you need to go from dreaming to doing. And you may very well need a degree for that job that you are thinking about applying for. So go check them out 
right now. Your bigger future starts today at University of Arizona Global Campus. No fee to apply. No standardized testing required to enroll. Go to uagc.edu slash Ben. That is uagc.edu slash Ben. uagc.edu slash Ben. Not all programs available in all states. Okay, so let's do a little bit of background here about what the Electoral College certification process is supposed to do and why it currently is constituted the way that it is constituted. So the Constitution of the United States says this. This is from the 12th Amendment. It says, The President of the Senate shall, in the presence of the Senate and House of Representatives, open all the certificates and the votes shall then be counted. Okay, so we'll stop right there for just a second because there are some people who are now claiming that Vice President Mike Pence is supposed to somehow not count the votes. That it's his job to determine whether the votes are legit and then just not count the votes that he doesn't like. That is not legally based, okay? The, the the vice president does not have the power to do that. That would be ridiculous. Like on just a, on a normal constitutional level, the idea of the vice president being able to unilaterally decide who is president is totally crazy, particularly when you're talking about the vice president very often being on the same ticket as a person who is running, right? Can, can you imagine back in 2004, Dick Cheney just deciding, you know what? I preside over the Senate. Guess what? Bush won. Don't even have to count the votes. Can you imagine in, in 1980, Jimmy Carter's vice president just saying, you know what? My job to count the votes. My job. You know what? Jimmy won. Sure, he lost, but he won. Right? It, it'd be crazy to have the, like, that is not the constitutional system. That is not the constitutional structure. That's clearly not the intent of the Constitution. Okay, so by the way, worthy of mention here is Lynn Wood. So Lynn Wood, who's this lawyer from Georgia, who's been, he was part of the, the original Kraken team and all of this kind of stuff. Lynn Wood's a crazy person. And not only has he been telling people not to vote in the Georgia Senate runoffs, which we'll get to in a little bit, he is now suggesting that Vice President Pence is going to be in jail. Hey, I'm just going to point out that if you're paying attention to Lynn Wood at this point, you're, you, you're being, I don't know what to tell you. He's crazy. Okay, he tweeted out over the weekend, if Pence is arrested, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo will save the election. Pence will be in jail awaiting trial for treason. He will face execution by firing squad. He is a coward and will sing like a bird and confess all. Okay, other things that Lynn Wood has tweeted over the past 24 hours, quote, I believe Chief Justice John Roberts and a multitude of powerful individuals worldwide are being blackmailed in a horrendous scheme involving rape and murder of children captured on videotape. I have the key to the files containing the videos. I've also shared this information. This blackmail scheme is conducted by members of the ten of, ten of the world's most well-known and elite intelligence agencies. One of those groups was hacked by a group known as Lizard Squad. The black fi blackmail files of rape and murder were obtained by this group and copy was provided to Isaac Cappy. After Cappy received the hack files... <laughs> From members of Lizard Squad, he gave files to one friend and the encryption key to another friend. He provided this information to his friends shortly before he was murdered in May 13th, 2019. Members of Lizard Squad were jailed for hacking. Jeffrey Epstein used this same, this same blackmail scheme of child rape and child murder to either further his own interests or those of any intelligence agency with whom he worked. Um, yeah, uh, okay. So it, that's Linwood. So I'm going to go with not Linwood's legal analysis. Other legal analysis that is not very good. Peter Navarro, who is the president's special trade representative, said on Fox that Mike Pence has the power to delay the inauguration. He does not. This is not correct. And by the way, if January 20th arrived and Joe Biden had not actually been designated the president-elect of the United States beforehand, you know who'd become president? Trump doesn't just keep being president on January 20th if the, if the office is vacant. Then the House of Representatives decide who's president. So get ready for President Pelosi if this is actually how you think it's going to go. So I'm just pointing out the bad legal analysis so you know where it is. Here's Peter Navarro, uh, who uh, is, is not a good lawyer. 
Vice President Pence, he has the authority to give that 10-day window to do what needs to get done. And I cannot imagine when right. he looks at the facts, um, he won't uh, vote, vote the right way on that. And, and, you know, Peter, the interesting thing is that that 10-day window, uh, is it, it is something that they can change the date. Uh, the, the first uh, January 20th cannot be changed. That's constitutional. But this whole certification thing, the dates well, can be changed. Well, it can be changed, anyway, actually. Peter we can Navarro. go past that date. We can go past that date. Oh. We can go past that date um, if, okay. if we need to. No, you can't. Okay, so. What is the actual process? We're going to get to the actual process and what is now being challenged, right? Josh Howley, Ted Cruz, uh, a bunch of Republican senators are jumping on board. We'll get to the legal analysis here because it's become quite controversial. Uh, and it's become quite controversial because I think some people are trying to politically make this into some sort of litmus test. It is not, in fact, a litmus test. The legal analysis here uh, is, is, I think, pretty faulty. And strategically speaking, it is not going to end with, with Trump being retained as president of the United States. There's literally no way for that to happen under the current process. It's just not on, on even if it even if it were legal, it would not be effective. OK, so we're going to get to that in one second. I'm going to analyze the whole issue for you. We'll go through all the arguments because people who I really respect on, on the legal side are making counter arguments. We'll go through all of them. So you will have all the information at your disposal. First, let us talk about the fact that a good New Year's resolution would be not going to the post office for tasks you can complete from home. First of all, you're spending a lot of time. Second of all, you're, you're going to be standing in, in line. You, you really don't need to do all of those things. I mean, if, if we learned one thing in 2020, it's that you can do a lot of things online just as well as you can do it in person, sometimes better. Stamps.com, better to do it online than in person. The reason, because with Stamps.com, you get the services of the post office and UPS directly on your computer, plus giant discounts on mailing and shipping rates. Here at Daily Wire, we've been using Stamps.com since 2017. No more wasting our time sending some sort of gopher to the post office to schlep boxes. That's not a thing that we are going to do. Instead, we use Stamps.com. Stamps.com brings the services of the U.S. Postal Service and UPS directly to your computer, wherever you are. Stamps.com, it's a must-have for any business, whether you're a small office sending out invoices, an online seller shipping out orders, even a giant warehouse sending thousands of packages a day. Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. Once your mail is ready, just schedule a pickup or a drop it off. It is that simple. With Stamps.com, you get five cents off every first-class stamp, up to 40% off priority mail, up to 62% off UPS shipping rates. Not to mention, it is a fraction of the cost of those expensive postage meters. Stamps.com, it's a no-brainer, it saves you time, it saves you money. It's no wonder over 900,000 small businesses already use Stamps.com. So, make 2020 the year you stop wasting your time and head on over to Stamps.com instead. No risk, with my promo code Shapiro, you get a special offer, includes a four-week trial plus free postage and digital scale, no long-term commitments or contracts. Just head on over to Stamps.com, click on the mic at the top of the homepage, type in Shapiro, that is Stamps.com, promo code Shapiro, Stamps.com, never go to the post office again. Alrighty, so now let's go through the actual electoral college process. So I've told you about how challenges take place under the Electoral College Act. You need to know the history of the Electoral College Act to know what we are attempting to avoid. Okay, so the reason that the Electoral College Act was originally passed, I'm going to give you all the legal background on all the relevant laws, and then you can decide for yourself whether you think there's a good effort or a bad effort or a malign effort. Okay, we'll get to it. Okay, so let's begin with the 1876 election. So the Constitution is actually not particularly clear on what happens if there is controversy within a state sufficient that the electors, that separate slates of electors are sent to Congress. So here's what happened in 1876, right? Remember, this is only uh, about a decade after the end of the Civil War. So the prospect of violence is still very real. There's still very large scale questions about voter suppression and voter fraud, particularly in the South. Okay, so it's an election between Rutherford B. Hayes, Rutherford B. Hayes, who is the Republican, and Samuel Tilden, who is the Democrat. So Hayes' support is entirely Northern with the exception of New York, which went for Samuel Tilden because New York had uh, some 
fairly severe feelings about race, obviously, that were pretty wrong and despicable. Copperheads were big in New York. So Samuel Tilden wins New York. And in the South, there are a bunch of states that are in controversy because it's pretty obvious that the South is very much in favor of Samuel Tilden, the Democrat. But a lot of people can't vote. Uh, a, a lot of people, that uh, there are carpetbaggers. Like there, there's some real problems of, of voter irregularity. And there are serious questions as to who really should be able to vote, considering that 11 years earlier, a lot of these people were literally fighting each other in the streets. Okay, so during that election, during the 1876 election, multiple Southern states actually sent several competing slates of electors. Republicans claimed in those Southern states that voter intimidation and fraud had been the reason that Tilden was declared the victor in places like Louisiana and South Carolina. Tilden had won the popular vote by over a quarter million votes nationwide. He did not have an electoral college majority. He was stuck at 184 electoral votes. At the time, he needed 185 to win. Rutherford B. Hayes had 165 electoral votes. So basically what would happen is that multiple slates of electors were now being sent from these states. So the state legislature would send a slate of electors. They would say, okay, Tilden won the state. We're sending our electors over to Congress. And then the Republican governor would be like, nope, I'm sending my own slate of electors because of voter fraud and voter intimidation. I don't believe the voter outcome. I'm sending my own slate of electors. Okay, so there would actually be two somewhat legitimate competing sources of slates of electors in 1876. Democrats at the time controlled the House of Representatives. Republicans controlled the Senate. Hayes supporters, who are Republicans, argued that the vice president should count the votes under the Constitution and disregard slates he didn't like, right? This is the issue that we were discussing before. The two sides instead agreed to set up a special committee charged with developing a way of solving the issue. The Senate voted 47-17 in favor of this. The House did the same, 191 to 86. The way that this committee worked is that five representatives were selected by the House, five senators were selected by the Senate, four Supreme Court justices were named, and then a fifth Supreme Court justice would be selected by the other four. So they came up with a committee, five members of the House, five senators, five Supreme Court justices. Democrats argued that every single election should be investigated. Republicans argued instead that governor's certification was the final word. Democrats then tried to filibuster vote counts from nearly every state. Eventually, Democrats basically just gave in because the committee came down and found that the slates of electors from the governors should be respected. The real outcome here was not solved by the commission. Okay, It was not solved by an investigation or anything like that. The real outcome was solved by one of the worst things that has happened in the racial history of the United States, the Compromise of 1877, under which Rutherford B. Hayes became president of the United States, despite losing both the popular vote and probably the Electoral College vote. And Republicans, in exchange, planned to drop Reconstruction efforts in the South, which led to essentially a century of Jim Crow. Later investigations, by the way, showed no wrongdoing by Rutherford B. Hayes. It did show Democratic attempts to bribe election officials in disputed states. Okay, so you have this mess of an election, only solved by the end of Reconstruction, essentially, which is not much of a solution. So they come up with the Electoral Count Act. The Electoral Count Act of 1887 sets out the process that we referred to before, which is that the vice president opens these votes, he counts the votes, and then a member of Congress and a senator can get together and challenge the votes. Both houses then recess to go debate it, and then they come back together. And if both votes of the congressional bodies decide that they are going to throw out votes from a particular state because they're illegitimate or something, then they go ahead and they do that. And now, even that, is not strict enough, really, okay? Because the fact is that the Constitution was not really meant to have a majority in Congress simply decide who the president of the United States is. And that's, that's really not what, what was supposed to happen here. And that would actually allow the federal government to override state governments. The real question, and this is what the Electoral Count Act says, is you have to have specific grounds for challenging votes. One would be something like bribery of electors, and the second would be that the governor did not certify the slate of electors, right? Those would be the actual grounds. 
Okay, how do slates of electors get certified? So according to Section 5 of U.S. Code Title III, this was passed in, I believe, 1948, it says, quote, if any state shall have provided by laws enacted prior to the day fixed for the appointment of the electors for its final determination of any controversy or contest concerning the appointment of all or any of the electors of such state by judicial or other methods or procedures, and such determination shall have been made at least six days before the time fixed for the meeting of the electors, such determination made pursuant to such law so existing on said day, made at least six days prior to said time of meeting the electors, shall be conclusive and shall govern in the counting of the electoral votes as provided in the Constitution and as hereinafter regulated so far as the ascertainment of the electors appointed by such state is concerned. In other words, if a state takes advantage of the safe harbor provision, remember this, we discussed this late in December, if the safe harbor time hits, okay, which is made six days before the time fixed for the meeting of the electors, and the states have certified their votes, we are done here. Okay, now, challenges really are not relevant because at least when it comes to lawfully certified. In other words, once the governor says, this is the slate of electors, and he does so within the safe harbor period, these are now the electors. Okay, And the challenges to the electors cannot be based on whether they were quote-unquote lawfully certified. It can only be based on regularly given, right? which would mean normally bribery or fraud. Okay, so that is where things sort of stand. Okay, that, that, is, that is the legal background for all of this. Okay, so over the last couple of weeks, there's been growing momentum for challenging electoral votes in Congress in the same way that Barbara Boxer did in 2005, uh, in the same way that some Congress people did in 1969. And this has been led on the House side by Representative Mo Brooks of Alabama, who said over the weekend that they were gaining a lot of momentum. He said, our fight for honest and accurate elections gains momentum. Jim Jordan and I co-lead conference call with 50 plus congressmen who join and fight for America's republic. Morale is high. Fight. Okay, so apparently there are over 100 Republican Congress people who are joining onto this uh, onto this effort. Uh, as Chip Roy of Texas has pointed out, it's odd that all these Congress people who were literally elected in the same election in which they are now claiming that electoral college votes should be thrown out are challenging the electoral college votes, but not their own election. That's, that's kind of a weird thing. I mean, they were elected by exactly the same ballots they are now challenging. But the question is whether they have any real serious legal grounds to do so. Okay, so Preliminary question aside, we'll get back to that in a second, the legal grounds for this. On a strategic level, this is not going to work. The reason this is not going to work on a strategic level is perfectly obvious. The Democrats control the House. So let's say that Republicans challenge these electoral college votes in the House. They get some senators like Josh Howley and Ted Cruz and a lot of people who I like, right? Steve Daines, a lot of people to sign on to this. And then the House is recessed to discuss the votes. Who thinks that the Democratic House is going to be like, you know what? After all, we decided that we're going to just disregard. You know what? Slates of electors from Pennsylvania, Arizona, Georgia, Wisconsin, Michigan, Nevada. You know what? You're totally right. You're 100% right. Nancy Pelosi is going to come forward, teeth a clack, and be like, Donald Trump, you're totally right. Okay, so that's not going to happen, right? I mean, let's just be practical about this. That's not going to happen, which means the electoral votes don't get thrown out. End of story. We're done here. Which suggests that this is really about one of two things. Posturing by some people because they want to appear that they are fighting even though there really is no available avenue left, right? The election is over. It was over the day the Electoral College voted with, with certified slate of electors. The certification process is a formality. It was always a formality, okay? except since 1876. So, the, so instead, what you are seeing, because this, in some cases, it's either posturing or it's an attempt to fight voter fraud by drawing attention to it, is that this is what Congress people are saying. And so Josh Howley puts out a statement. This is the senator from Missouri who I think is pretty clearly attempting to run for president in 2024 and capture a lot of the, the Trump base. So he said, here, here is his statement. 
Following both the 2004 and 2016 elections, Democrats in Congress objected during the certification of electoral votes in order to raise concerns about election integrity. I mean, it is true, by the way, that, that some Democrats in Congress tried to object to certification of electoral votes during the 2016 election. That was gaveled down by Joe Biden in the Senate. Right? Joe Biden was the, was the vice president at the time. Halley said, they were praised by Democratic leadership in the media when they did. They were entitled to do so. Now those of us concerned about the integrity of this election are entitled to do the same. And you can. I mean, no one's saying you can't try this. I'm just saying it's not really well legally predicated. And the basic model here, which would be that anytime you don't like the outcome of an election, you and a majority of Congress can simply throw out all electoral college votes. That is clearly not what the constitutional structure was meant to create. Remember, the electoral college is supposed to represent the states. Remember that. Not members of the federal government. Not the popular vote. The point of the Electoral College is that the states are supposed to appoint the electors. Once the states have appointed the electors, the federal government does not have cause to simply throw out slates of electors absent obvious evidence of fraud that was not presented in court here. Right? Because, again, court after court, many of them Trump judges said you're not even I mean, the Trump team didn't even allege fraud in a lot of these cases, particularly like Pennsylvania. In any case, Halley says, I cannot vote to certify the Electoral College results on January 6th without raising the fact that some states, particularly Pennsylvania, failed to follow their own state election laws. Okay, so we'll get to this argument in a second, which is that the Electoral College vote from Pennsylvania should be thrown out despite state certification because it violates the federal constitution. That's an argument that my friend Mark Levin makes. And it's an interesting argument. I, I disagree with the legal analysis. Halley says, I cannot vote to certify without pointing out the unprecedented effort of mega corporations, including Facebook and Twitter, to interfere in the election in support of Joe Biden. Okay, that part is true, but you don't challenge electoral votes because Facebook and Twitter were really bad. And that, 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 those two things are, are completely disconnected. I totally agree that Facebook, Twitter, big tech, social media, the media itself were worth 10 points to Joe Biden in this election. There's no question about that. But that doesn't give you a legal predicate for challenging electoral college votes. In any case, Halley says, for these reasons, I follow the same practice Democrat members of Congress have in years past and object during the certification process on January 6th to raise these critical issues. Okay, well, then because Halley does that, right? Then because Josh Howley has challenged the electoral votes and you now have one senator, that was the question, is whether one senator would go along with members from the House to actually jump into this process. Because of that, you see a lot of other members of the Senate who, again, want to demonstrate fealty to Trump and demonstrate fight and demonstrate that they don't like the outcome of the election, jumping on board. Again, I don't think there's a lot of legal basis to this, as I will explain in just one second. Hey, first, let us talk for a second about shopping for auto parts. So auto parts stores, not my cup of tea. Don't love them. I don't love them because number one, I'm not a car expert. I don't know that much about my car. Number two, it's overpriced. Number three, they very often don't even have the parts and have to order it online. So why not just skip the middleman and go order the part you need online? Rockauto.com. You have access to rockauto.com at your desk and in your pocket. Rockauto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do. Why would you spend up to twice as much for the same parts? RockAuto.com. It's a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Head on over to RockAuto.com right now. Shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Best of all, prices at RockAuto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? And you're literally doing that if you shop at these auto parts stores as opposed to RockAuto.com. They've got amazing selection, reliably low prices. All the parts your car is ever going to need. RockAuto.com. So head on over to RockAuto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. And then write Shapiro in there. How did you hear about us box? So they know that we sent you in the first place. Helps them. Helps the show. Go check them out right now. Rockauto.com. Write Shapiro in there. How did you hear about us box? Okay, so 
We're going to get to more of the legal analysis in just one second because it's, it's kind of fascinating. Uh, and we're also going to get to the Georgia race. There's just a lot more to get to because you're on break for like a week and a half. First, there are a million reasons that people believe lies about conservatives. One of them is they've been trained to do so by content creators that absolutely hate conservatives, hate us. Right? When, you, when you go to work, people think conservatives are just bad people. Right? When, you, when you are on Facebook, if you're a conservative, your friends, family, coworkers, they will treat you as though you have some sort of brain cancer if you say you are conservative. Why is this? It's not just because of political differences. It's because politics is downstream from culture, as my old mentor, Andrew Breitbart, used to say. As a culture, we need content that is edgy and entertaining and awesome, but that does not mock conservative values. We need to give people options. Daily Wire is aiming to do just that. Think about this. Fox News, right? Everybody who's on the right watches Fox News. Their, their primetime lineup will average 3.54 million people. There's 70 million subscribers to Netflix. The vast majority of people's politics is not decided by politics. It is decided by cultural influences outside of that. It's decided by the entertainment they consume and the music they consume, the movies and the TV they consume. If conservatives want to win in the future, we have to engage in the culture war in the culture. It's called a culture war because it's not just about voting. It is about the culture. And that means we have to provide an alternative to the entertainment left-wing cramdowns you see in places like Amazon Prime or places that you see like Hulu or on Netflix. You need alternative sources of entertainment. And so do moderates, right? Things that they can see that are fun and edgy and yes, somewhat conservative. Okay, so what you're about to watch is an excerpt from Daily Wire's first motion picture film. This is our first film ever from Daily Wire. We are getting into the space. We need to challenge the big boys. You want to win the culture war, you got to fight in the culture. This film is called Run, Hide, Fight. It's not a stereotypical conservative film. In fact, it's not particularly political at all. It is also not a family-friendly film, okay? It is intense, it is violent, and it does have a powerful message to go with it. The movie is about a high school besieged by a quartet of school shooters. One young girl, 17-year-old Zoe Hull, uses her wits and survival skills to fight back. Here is the trailer. In between breaths, take the shot. You've done really good out there, kid. Size of that deer, we're gonna be eating venison all summer. Well, the day's work. I think we need to see somebody again. And by we, you mean me? No, I mean us. Hey, that look in your eye. Guys in my unit had that look. You think there's a brochure you can hand me so I can go? Jellic over there? Is he doing something completely weird? Senior prank day. But we'll see all kinds of dumb stuff today. Swim captain, we'll have Thai food delivered to class, and Becky Vaughn will set up her homemade slip and slide. This is high school. Nothing that happens here matters in the real world. Okay, we are in charge now, so please pull out whichever app you use to do live streaming video. Get them up and running and point it at me. Now! Get down on the ground! Any more friends back there? I'm calling 911. Get back to your homeroom and stay put until the... Disturbing news out of Vernon Central High School. 
Zoe. In between breath, take a shot. Go! Is it safe to say that this might be our guardian angel? Do you want more people to die? That's the last thing I want. I'm gonna kill one person in this room every five minutes. You don't show your face. Isn't it ironic that after all your hard work, people aren't gonna remember you? No. They're gonna remember me. The movie's badass. Okay, the movie is just, it's excellent. It is, it is not for younger audiences. This would be a rated R film for sure. But that's the point. We are making rated R films, right? We are making content that are for, that's for adults. We are making stuff that people want to see, right? Not just something where people feel obligated to see it because it, it promotes a particular worldview openly so that no moderate will ever see it. The point is that we are going to change people's minds about issues by providing them cultural places where they can see that conservatism is not only not bad, it is quite good. And we're going to be telling compelling, edgy stories to go with it. We are really pumped to show you this film and bring you something that's never been done before in conservative media, never been done. We need your help. Run, Hide, Fight will be available to watch Friday, January 15th, my birthday, at dailywire.com. We'll be doing a special live stream premiere the night before, Thursday, January 14th, on the Daily Wire YouTube channel. So let's kick off 2021 by fighting back on culture. We got to fight the culture war. We need to create our own content and we need your help. We need you to join up at dailywire.com. This content is not cheap to produce. It is really important. There's a reason Democrats pour billions of dollars into film and TV. They know what convinces people. We need to do the same thing. Check us out at dailywire.com. Go subscribe right now and you can see Run, Hide, Fight, which is just a badass, awesome movie. You're going to love it. I can't wait to show Really, I'm very eager to show it to you. So come join us over at Daily Wire. You're listening to the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. All right, so Josh Howley signifies that he is going to join Mo Brooks and he is going to challenge these electoral college results. And he says that he wants to do so in order to put a spotlight on what has happened in Pennsylvania and on allegations of voter fraud and also on big tech. So yeah, again, I think that what he says about big tech is 100% right. I don't know what it has to do with challenging electoral college votes. So this prompts a bunch of other Republican senators to jump on board, including Senators Ted Cruz, Ron Johnson, James Lankford, Steve Daines, John Kennedy, Marsha Blackburn, Mike Braun, uh, Senators-elect Cynthia Loomis from Wyoming, Roger Marshall of Kansas, Bill Hagerty of Tennessee, and Tommy Tuberville of Alabama. And they put out a statement. It said, the election of 2020, like the election of 2016, was hard fought and in many swing states narrowly decided. The 2020 election, however, featured unprecedented allegations of voter fraud violations and lax enforcement of election law and other voting irregularities. Now, the, the problem here, of course, is that when you say that it featured unprecedented allegations, you actually, if you're going to challenge electoral college votes, you actually have to show unprecedented uh, unprecedented evidence, right? Unprecedented allegations. I mean, we can do unpre- Democrats do unprecedented allegations. And, and I will point this out here too. I mean, Democrats did unprecedented allegations for four years. They claimed that Donald Trump was a Russian tool and Vladimir Putin had hired Trump basically to become president of the United States and that Trump had gained the office simply by cooperating with Vlad. Right? So that was an unprecedented allegation. Turns out they didn't have unprecedented proof. And so it came to nothing. But when Democrats complain that allegations are not sufficient, uh, take that with a grain of salt. Whenever it's a Democrat pushing allegations, the allegations are sufficient. 
I would hope that conservatives are a little bit more consistent, that allegations are never sufficient. You need actual evidence to back the allegations, whether we are talking about bullcrap about Brett Kavanaugh or bullcrap about the Covington Catholic kids or whether you're talking about bullcrap about systemic American racism. Like actual evidence would be necessary, not just allegations. So it's not enough to say unprecedented allegations of voter fraud. You actually have to show proof. But say, say these senators, the allegations are not believed just by one individual candidate. They are widespread because 67% of Republicans say the election was rigged and so do 17% of Democrats and 31% of independents. He says some member, these are all the senators on the Republican side who are going along with the challenge. Some members of Congress disagree with that assessment as do many members of the media, but whether or not our elected officials or journalists believe it, that deep distrust of our democratic processes will not magically disappear. It should concern us all. It poses an ongoing threat to the legitimacy of all subsequent administrations. Okay, so let's just be straight about this. All those doubts are not gonna go away because Congress has a two-hour session where they yell at each other. That's not going to happen. And they're not going to go away if there is some sort of jointly appointed electoral commission, which is what Cruz et al. are calling for. They are calling for a following of the 1877 precedent. Now, remember, the Electoral Count Act was designed explicitly to avoid the 1877 commission because that commission, it turned out, was completely partisan. And not only was it completely partisan, the only way that that crisis ended up being resolved was the end of Reconstruction. So it wasn't like that was a wildly great precedent to set, and that it worked fantastic. So we should go back to that. But they're calling for an electoral investigation. It'll take 10 days. Now, let's be real about that. Who thinks that at the end of 10 days, everybody who was who was disquieted about the rather serious allegations of voter fraud and irregularity are going to be, oh, you know, they took 10 days. I mean, they took a whole 10 days. Now I feel better. Not going to happen, obviously. Okay, so, th- so just on a practical level, it's not going to quell fears. It is not going to end the way that Republicans want it to end because Democrats control the House, so that's just not going to happen. Nonetheless, Vice President Pence's chief of staff said that he welcomed the effort by some lawmakers to raise objections. Mark Short said, Vice President Pence shares the concerns of millions of Americans about voter fraud and irregularity and therefore welcomes the effort of members of the House and Senate to use the authority they have under the law to raise objections and bring forward evidence. Now, th- listen, again, they can do that. They can raise objections, bring forward evidence. It's not going to be practical. And it's not going to end uh, with any change here. Senator Tom Cotton, who, again, is a very pro-Trump senator, right? Cotton is really a pro-Trump guy from Arkansas. He put out a statement on why he was not going to join these efforts. And I think this is systemically correct. The point that he's making is you don't want to set the precedent whereby the Congress of the United States decides to completely overlook the certified electoral college results in various states in favor of simply ruling at the federal level which votes should be counted and which votes should not. That's a huge mistake, especially because let's just on a practical level, point something out. Republicans, since 1992, since 19, well, sorry, since 1988, Republicans have won the popular vote, a grand total of one time, once. Since 1988, since I was four years old, Republicans have won the popular national vote in a presidential election one time. So Republicans, rightly, are big fans of the Electoral College. I think on a systemic level, they should be big fans of the Electoral College because I think the states should have a say in who gets to be president. But that's the point. If you have Congress overruling the states, not on the basis of proved fraud, not on the basis of proved voter irregularity, but on the basis they don't like the results, you're setting the precedent whereby in four years, Vice President Kamala Harris decides after she loses, let's say that Biden, let's say that, that Biden is on his last legs, Harris runs to succeed him. And now you have her ruling at the top of the Senate on her own loss and simply saying, you know what? I won the popular vote. The Electoral College count doesn't matter anymore. Republicans made clear that last time. We're done. I win. 
How's that going to go? Yeah, that going to go great? I don't think so. It's setting a very, very, very negative legal precedent here that is going to be extraordinarily counterproductive. And by the way, is not going to end with Trump retaining the office of the presidency. Again, Democrats in the House would have to agree with Republicans in the Senate to throw out electoral college votes, which is not going to happen. So it is bad law. It is bad policy. And it is not effective in any real sense, which means that it's kind of virtue signaling unless people actually think it's going to work for some odd reason that, that I can't comprehend. Like there's no way this works. It's just not going to work. Okay, so Tom Cotton makes this clear. Again, Cotton is very, this is not about opposing Trump or not opposing Trump. This is about recognizing that there are consequences to messing around with the legal system. I didn't just vote for Trump. I stumped for Trump. I told you why you should vote for Trump. I, I'm, I'm quite upset with the outcome of the election. Tom Cotton is quite upset with the outcome of the election. That doesn't mean that what we are now pursuing here is good policy or effective policy. So Cotton put out a statement. He said, quote, I share the concerns of many Arkansans about irregularities in the presidential election, especially in states that rushed through election law changes to relax standards of voting by mail. I also share their disappointment with the election results. I therefore support a commission to study the last election and propose reforms to protect the integrity of our elections. And after Republicans win in Georgia, the Senate should also hold more hearings on these matters. Nevertheless, the founders entrusted our elections chiefly to the states, not Congress. They entrusted the election of our president to the people acting through the Electoral College, not Congress. They entrusted the adjudication of election disputes to the courts, not Congress. Under the Constitution and federal law, Congress's power is limited to counting electoral votes submitted by the states. Correct. If Congress purported to overturn the results of the Electoral College, it would not only exceed that power, it would establish unwise precedents. First, Congress would take away the power to choose the president from the people, which would essentially end presidential elections and place that power in the hands of whichever party controls Congress. Second, Congress would imperil the Electoral College itself, which gives small states like Arkansas a voice in presidential elections. Democrats could achieve their long-standing goal of eliminating the Electoral College, in effect, by refusing to count electoral votes in the future for a Republican president-elect. Third, Congress would take another big step toward federalizing election law, another long-standing Democratic priority that Republicans have consistently opposed. Okay, so Cotton happens to be legally correct about all of this, right? This is, this is right. Cotton's explanation is correct. Okay, so that leaves one outstanding legal debate that is interesting on an intellectual and a legal level. So Mark Levin, friend of mine, really good guy, really obviously terrific conservative who's done enormous work in convincing Americans why conservatism is a good idea. So late in, in the year, uh, he put out a, a piece trying to explain why electoral challenges were a good idea, particularly with regard to the Pennsylvania vote. So here's what he says. He says, specifically, Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2 of the federal constitution could not be more explicit. It states in pertinent part, each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct a number of electors equal to the whole number of senators and representatives to which the state may be entitled in the Congress. This language was purposeful. During the Constitutional Convention, there were various proposals suggested for electing a president should the president be directly elected. That proposal was rejected because the founders feared a purely democratic process could be hijacked by a temporary majority. Should the president be chosen from within the national legislature? That proposal was also rejected. Should the judiciary play a role? That idea was rejected. The electoral process rested first and foremost on the state legislatures directing how the electors would be chosen. The reason, while rejecting the direct election of a president, the framers concluded that the state legislatures were closest to the people. Okay, so basically he is saying that because Pennsylvania did the wrong process for putting together their voting procedure, because courts and the governor intervened in the process, that this means that the entire state electoral college vote should be thrown out because the federal government is empowered with ensuring that each state appoints in such a manner as the legislature directs 
a number of electors. On the face, that makes some sense, right? I mean, that, that the state, the Constitution says state legislatures have to decide the process. And in Pennsylvania, it was not state legislatures that were deciding the process. And the problem is that a bunch of courts have already decided that this is not correct interpretation. And in fact, the, the actual meaning of the Constitution here is relatively clear. What it means is that the Electoral College is decided by the state legislature. The legislature decides exactly the, the manner in which the Electoral College is, is selected, but it doesn't mean that they have to be in charge of every single detail. And so, for example, there is a, there is a judge, okay, a recent Trump appointee named Brett Ludwig, okay, and he ruled specifically on this argument. And here's what he said. As used in the electors clause, the word manner refers to the form or method of selection of the presidential electors. It requires state legislatures merely to set the approach for selecting presidential electors. Put another way, it simply refers to the mode of appointing electors consistent with the plain meaning, with the plain meaning of the term. So what does that mean? It means that you could have chosen to appoint electors directly, right? The, the state legislature could just select the electors, or the state legislature could do it by congressional district, or they could simply have the governor appoint the electors. But once they decide, then they decide, right? The approach form method or mode that a legislature sets for appointing presidential electors is by general ballot at the general election. Okay, so the same logic applies in Pennsylvania. Right here, here is what the judge said in this particular case. He said, issues of mere administration of a general election do not mean there has not been a general ballot at a general election. Plaintiff's conflation of these potential nonconformities with constitutional violations is contrary to the plain meaning of the electors clause. If a plaintiff's reading of manner was correct, any disappointed loser in a presidential election able to hire a team of clever lawyers could flag claim deviations from the election rules and cast doubt on the election results. In other words, the Pennsylvania state legislature said that the popular vote of the state of Pennsylvania was going to decide the outcome. Okay, then counties went ahead and did a bunch of different procedures for gathering the popular vote. A lawyer could simply say, well, the legislature didn't decide how that was going to happen. So therefore, the process is broken and you can throw out those state electors. Okay, that, that is not what the Constitution means in this particular circumstance, I don't think. I understand where Mark is coming from. I, I don't think that that is correct. And again, I think that it sets the federal government over these states as to how they actually do their election processes, which is a mistake. You don't want the federal government actually doing that because the federal government could be controlled by Democrats, guys. As David French points out, and this is, this is a good point, it, it is quite possible that then Democrats can object to Texas's electoral votes for Trump because Texas Governor Greg Abbott invoked emergency powers to modify statutory restrictions regarding the delivery of mail-in ballots. Right, So the legislature didn't actually decide how the vote went in Texas either. And so this is the... Um, this is sort of the the contrary argument uh, to what uh, Mark ha has been arguing. And again, I, I, I think Mark's argument is interesting. I don't think that it is uh, fully convincing to me, at least. And meanwhile, Andrew McCarthy, again, a big ally of Trump. He has a long piece today about this process. As he points out, the law makes pretty clear that once the state certifications are done, they are now conclusive. Says Andy McCarthy, it is not a matter of whether it is the result we would have preferred or even whether it is a result we suspect. It is the law. This undeniable fact has been recognized by seven federal judges, including judges recently appointed by Trump, who have examined the Trump claims, rejected them, and disclaimed any authority under the circumstances to disturb the state's determinations. If despite all of that, Democrats were trying to orchestrate a congressional do-over, Republicans would be pointing out, with due indignation, the Constitution makes the election of a president, like the ratification of the Constitution, a matter of state sovereignty. Under our foundational law, it is the states, not the people, not Congress, that determine which candidates are receiving electoral votes. 
The 12th Amendment requires that the count has to be done in the presence of lawmakers over which the vice president presides. But the, this sort of power grab is really not justifiable under the Constitution or under prevailing law, says Andy McCarthy. And this, this seems correct. Not only that, but it's pretty obviously going to fail. Even if you agree with the argument that there's solid legal grounds for challenging these electoral results, Democrats control the House. They're not going to vote to throw out electoral college votes in these various states. So when people say, the, the reason I'm spending a lot of time on this is because there are a lot of folks who seem to want to turn this into some sort of conservative litmus test. Like if you're truly conservative, if you're a true believer, then you will, will back these electoral college challenges. I think that there's a fairly solid conservative case. When I say fairly solid, I mean very solid. Conservative case to be made, they're actually undermining a bunch of fundamental principles that you are going to be sad you undermine in five minutes. And when you say that the federal government should have the capacity to simply throw out electoral college votes on any basis they want, essentially, without providing proper evidence, that is not a precedent you want to set. Republicans in presidential elections have traditionally relied on the Electoral College to provide them victory. Again, considering that since 1988, one election, 2004, has been a popular vote victory for a Republican. And you're going to need that Electoral College. You're going to miss it when, when it's gone. So don't screw around with this process. It is a mistake. It is also a mistake to make this the paramount consideration, considering that there is an actual big election coming up this week. The election of 2020 happened in 2020. It is now 2021. In the next two days, there is a massive election. As in tomorrow, there is a massive election in Georgia. That election is going to decide control of the Senate. Regardless of what sort of processes are attempted in the next week, regardless of the political positioning of various senators or congresspeople, Joe Biden will be certified the winner of the election. He already was by these various states. Okay, so now the question becomes, what's going to happen in the Senate? Just on a practical level, what's going to happen in the Senate? And the answer is, if Democrats take the Senate, it's going to be a full-on disaster area. Republicans in Georgia, get out and vote. Get out and vote. By the way, not just me saying this. Trump is saying this. His kids are saying this. His team is saying this. Get out and vote. You need to vote in Georgia. You cannot hand control of the Senate over to Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. That's nuts. There is no rationale whatsoever for handing over two Senate seats to Raphael Warnock, a Marxist radical, and John Ossoff, a trust fund socialist. Don't do it. Don't. I mean, so David Perdue, who is uh, who, who did beat John Ossoff uh, in uh, or, or, or uh, yeah, he beat John Ossoff by about 80,000 votes in the last go round. He just missed by a few by a few votes, finishing above that 50 percent mark that would have sent him back to the Senate. Perdue said over the weekend, if the Democrats are in charge, America is not going to be the same. That is correct. The bulwark against Joe Biden and Kamala Harris is going to be a Republican Senate. Do not blow it, guys. Here is Perdue's ad over the weekend. Now we take Georgia, and then we change America. To make sure that we don't have a Republican Senate majority so that we don't have to um, negotiate. When we win these two seats, plus Kamala Harris breaking the time, it'll be like getting 60 votes. When we take back the Senate and have the majority, we will have a lot to do. Total Democratic control. That's their goal. If they're in charge, America will never be the same. Save America. Vote for David Perdue on January 5th. Okay, and the media are all in, all in on, on John Ossoff. I mean, they are, they are all in on Ossoff. They are all in on Raphael Warnock. I mean, they, they, are, they are going at it with, it with a vengeance. I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing how hard they are, they are going for the Democrats. So Raphael Warnock, who was uh, in this, this runoff, right? I mean, Ossoff is, is with Purdue and Warnock is running against uh, Kelly Leffler. So 
Raphael Warnock is getting just the, the golden treatment from the media. Here's a headline from the New York Times about Raphael Warnock, a racial radical who has said openly anti-Semitic things, who has praised Jeremiah Wright, who has praised Louis Farrakhan, who has who did groundwork for a, a church visit from Fidel Castro. Okay, this nut job, who, by the way, was briefly arrested for obstruction over investigation of child abuse at a summer camp back in the 90s. And right? then, then later he was uh, he was released and cleared. Okay, th- whose, whose ex-wife suggested that he ran over his foot with a car, her foot with a car, and that, uh, and that he was a, a liar and all of this. That guy is being treated with just the greatest, the greatest sort of kid gloves by the media. Here's a headline from the New York Times. You ready? Raphael Warnock from the pulpit to politics doesn't shy from uncomfortable truths. Wow, what a hero. What a hero. Now, well, that seems to me defending Jeremiah Wright's not an uncomfortable truth. It's you being a jackass. But according to the media, this makes you a powerful voice, a powerful voice. I mean, just just incredible. So the, the New York Times goes on and on about what a magical, magical man Raphael Warnock is. The Washington Post has a piece. I mean, this is all times. The media are just disgusting. I mean, they're disgustingly partisanly biased in, in an insane way. They did cost Trump the election, no doubt. Hey, lifestyle, the lifestyle section of the Washington Post. Lifestyle, not an opinion piece, lifestyle. Raphael Warnock's campaign for the moral high ground. What an amazing man he is. He's so amazing. For the past 15 years, Warnock has been the senior pastor at the storied Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, the same church once led by his hero, Martin Luther King Jr. The flamboyant preacher Paul style Warnock cultivated may be alien to many Americans, including many white Christians, but it is deeply familiar to those who grew up in and around Southern black churches. In those churches, preachers make it their business to tell uncomfortable truths about American life, including the shameful ways the country treats its African-American citizens. Uh, what, what a hero. What a hero he is. Meanwhile, the media will just allow the Democrats to lie about Republicans over and over and over again. So, for example, John Ossoff suggested that Republican Kelly Loeffler has been campaigning with a Klansman. That is just a lie. It's an overt lie. Kelly Loeffler has taken pictures with thousands of people. One of the people she took pictures with was a Klansman. She didn't know the guy from Adam. Doesn't matter. John Ossoff just goes on national TV and lies about it. He has not received one iota of blowback from the same media who claim they are guardians of the truth because, in fact, they are not. They're just guardians of Democrats. Here's the bottom line. Kelly Leffler has been campaigning with a Klansman. Kelly Leffler has been campaigning with a Klansman. And so she is stooping to these vicious personal attacks to distract from the fact that she's been campaigning with a former member of the Ku Klux Klan. I mean, we deserve better than that here in Georgia. Okay, that is just a lie. It's just a lie. But he doesn't get any fact check. That's not on the front page of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Here's Kelly Laffler slapping the pathological liar John Ossoff. Georgia knows that John Ossoff is a pathological liar. He's a trust fund socialist whose only job has been working for the Chinese Communist Party in recent years. And look, here's the deal. If we're going to tell lies about my campaign, let's tell the truth about who he's campaigning with. This is the truth. Radical liberal Raphael Warnock has been involved in child abuse, domestic abuse. So I'm not going to be lectured by some 33-year-old trust fund socialist who's a pathological liar. Okay, I mean, she, she's right about this. It's amazing how Ossoff and Warnock, I mean, the, the, the media are trying to cram the Democrats into power. They're trying to do it. If you're in Georgia, do not sit out the election. I know you're pissed about what happened in 2020. I know you are. Turn the page because what's coming next is going to be a lot, lot worse if Democrats take control of the United States Senate. By the way, speaking of just the media being a bag of garbage, a couple of quick bag of garbage media stories for you here right now. Okay, so bag of garbage media story number one. 
So remember that time when we were told that California is just wonderful with COVID? Right? California was doing great. I lived in LA until very, very recently. And LA was just, it was wonderful. They shut down everything. You couldn't go outdoor dining. You couldn't hike. You couldn't do a bunch of stuff for months at a time. And they did an amazing job. They crushed the curve, right? I mean, they just did an amazing, amazing job. Uh, there is only one problem. Uh, in fact, they did not do an amazing job. You can crush the curve, but it turns out that the curve then crushes you. Because if you decide on wide-scale lockdown, then when people go out, they will infect each other at extraordinary rates. And that's exactly what has been happening in L.A. County, which now posted its third highest single day total for coronavirus cases on New Year's, reporting 19,000 cases. That means that over the last seven days, there's an average of more than 16,000 new COVID cases a day reported in the county, about 12 times bigger than the comparable figure from November 1st and the highest figure ever recorded. The tally reported Friday pushed the average number of new daily COVID cases over the last week to over 16,000. Precisely around the same time, epidemiologists warned people infected around the Christmas holiday would begin to become infectious. The hospitals are being overwhelmed. They're being overrun in L.A. County. It is a full-scale disaster area. Speaking of full-scale disaster areas, the growth of COVID again in New York is getting pretty severe. And uh, Andrew Cuomo has an idiotic plan. So this bag of tools, I mean, he's just an, he, this awful, awful governor who presided over the worst death rate in the United States, with the exception of New Jersey, just a hor horrifying death rate, tens of thousands of dead in his state because he decided to ship the elderly back into nursing homes with COVID. This awful, awful governor who suggested for months that he didn't trust a vaccine developed under the Trump administration. Now this guy is blowing it when it comes to tranching out the vaccine. So here's how we should be tranching out the vaccine. Okay, because these things have expiration dates. Once they're out of the fridge, they're out of the fridge. The way that it should work is that everybody who's elderly gets a shot. Everybody who's elderly gets a shot. And if you hit the end of the day and there ain't nobody elderly around, you inoculate anybody who's there because you don't want to waste the doses, right? Because once they're out of the fridge, they're done, right? So you want it better that somebody who is not in line should get the shot than that somebody doesn't get the shot who's not in line, right? You, like wasting doses is idiotic. It makes no sense at all. And in fact, there are lots of countries that have been doing this exactly right. Israel is an ex excellent example. Over a million people have already been vaccinated in Israel. They have drive-through lines. You literally just get in your car, you drive to one of these drive-thrus and you get the shot. Okay, here in Florida, there have been people lining up at places where the shots are available. They're not wasting shots. So Andrew Cuomo's plan, however, is he is so interested in the quote-unquote prioritization because he wants, I don't know, racial equity achieved via the inoculation of essential workers who are disproportionately minority or some such nonsense. He is actually threatening to fine people millions of dollars if they take the vaccine out of order. So he would rather that vaccine doses be spoiled than they go to somebody out of order. Here is this dolt who's been treated as the godsend of, of COVID treatment. Here, here's this moron, Andrew Cuomo. I'm going to sign an executive order that says uh, we're very clear. The vaccines are a priority. There's not going to be any politics at play as to who gets a vaccine. And uh, we look to the CDC, federal government for guidance, uh, and uh, we will not tolerate any fraud in the vaccination process. Anyone who engages in fraud is going to be held accountable. Uh, the executive order I'm going to sign today says a provider could be fined up to a million dollars and revocation of all state licenses. Okay, so if you're knowingly not eligible, right, you came to the end of the day, there's nobody in the line. And there's a, a janitor there, and he wants the vaccine. You give him the janitor, he wants to find you a million dollars and revoke your certification. This is a recipe for losing doses of the vaccine. Idiocy. 
And that guy, give that guy an Emmy. Makes perfect sense to me. Follow the science, the science. Speaking of which, quick scientific note, the state of California, apparently over the, uh, over the holiday, they moved to change insurance language on double mastectomy for gender dysphoric females from cosmetic to reconstructive to ensure no age limit for the procedure. Okay, so if you are a woman and you believe that you are a male and you want to have double mastectomies, right? You want to cut off your breasts. Now, to make sure that insurance companies cover it, they are suggesting that your breasts are, I'm not kidding you. This is how California now describes normal human female breasts. You ready? Quote, abnormal structures of the body caused by congenital defects. That's right. You don't have a condition called gender dysphoria. What you have is an abnormal body. Your body is abnormal for having grown in direct relation to its genetic source. Your breasts are now abnormal structures of the body caused by congenital defects. Trust the science, guys. Trust the science. I think that these people have everything well in hand. Well in hand. Okay, final note on the media. I would be remiss if I didn't cover the story because it did, again, blow up over the break. I know there's a long show today, but we missed about a week and a half of news. So the New York Times continues to promulgate cancel culture in extraordinary ways, in extraordinary ways. So Dan Levin had a piece over the, over the holiday that's just insane. It was called A Racial Slur, A Viral Video, and A Reckoning. A white high school student withdrew from her chosen college after a three-second video caused an uproar online. The classmate who shared it publicly has no regrets. So what exactly is this story? This shows you how far our culture is, is trashed. And this is why we got to fight back in the culture, guys, because our culture is trashed. According to the New York Times, this is a multiple thousand word story from the New York Times. Quote, Jimmy Galligan was in history class last school year when his phone buzzed with a message. Once he clicked on it, he found a three-second video of a white classmate looking into the camera and uttering an anti-black racial slur. The slur, he said, was regularly hurled in classrooms and hallways throughout his years in the Loudoun County School District. He brought up the issue to teachers and administrators, but much to his anger and frustration, his complaints had gone nowhere. Okay, so he held on to the video, and then he made a decision that would ricochet around Leesburg, Virginia, a town named for an ancestor of the Confederate General Robert E. Lee. Okay, they're going to try and connect a 15-year-old girl to Robert E. Lee by the name of the town. This is Excellent journalism here from the New York Times. Quote, this is from Galligan, whose mother is black and father is white. I wanted to get her where she would understand the severity of that word. He tucked the video away, deciding to post it publicly when the time was right. Okay, so this guy's a sociopath. He's a sociopath. Okay, it is a sociopathic behavior to, when you're 15 years old, tuck away a video of a person who is 15 or, he was 17, I guess, and this kid was 15. Tuck away the video of a 15-year-old to wreck her life because she said, and I'm kidding you, this is what she said was, she's driving, right, for the first time. She looked into a camera and said, I can drive, N-word. But the N-word was not like with the E-R at the end. It was with the A-H, right? Like the commonly used N-word in rap music, which again is gross and there shouldn't be a distinction, but there is that double standard. She obviously did not mean it as a racial slur against black people. Okay, that, that's perfectly obvious from the video. She's a 15-year-old girl who's doing the rap, thug life kind of crap that the media have decided is actually a good idea for people to do. Okay, so she does that. This sociopathic kid decides to hold back that video until the girl is admitted to college and then to release it online to get her thrown out of college. And the New York Times cheers this as a reckoning. As a reckoning. They want to ruin your life. They want to. The media want to ruin your life. They want... Every Facebook thing you have ever put up, every tweet you have ever said, anything you have ever uttered to be on tape so they can hold it back and then use it as a club against you to ruin your life when the time is right and to teach a broader lesson. What broader lesson was taught other than this kid is a jerk and the New York Times is disgusting. Galligan had not seen the video before receiving it last school year 
by, by which time he and Groves were seniors. By then, she was a varsity cheer captain who dreamed of attending University of Tennessee Knoxville, whose cheer team was reigning national champion. When she made the team in May, her parents celebrated with a cake and orange balloons, according to the university, uh, the university's official color. The next month, as protests were sweeping the nation, Groves, in a public Instagram post, urged people to protest, donate, sign a petition, rally, and do something in support of BLM. And then Galligan released the video. So she did the liberal woke signaling, and he said, nope, nope, nope. Here's a video of you doing a bad thing that I'm going to deliberately interpret as, as racist, and then I'm going to ruin your life because you said that you were in favor of BLM. And the New York Times cheers it, cheers it. Groves was removed from the university cheer team. She withdrew from the school under pressure from admissions officials. She was among many incoming freshmen across the country whose admissions offers were, were revoked by at least a dozen universities after videos emerged on social media. This is the culture the left wants to create. This is the culture war. It should be fought at every single turn. And the media, you got to replace them. This is why you should subscribe to Daily Wire. We're trying to replace them. These jackasses should not have any power. Disgusting from the New York Times. Disgusting from that fellow student. Gross all the way around. All right. We'll be back here today with an additional hour of The Ben Shapiro Show. In the meantime, go check out The Michael Knowles Show on today's episode. Michael will be talking about cops invading homes to break up New Year's parties. That's the thing that, that was actually happening. That episode is available right now. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Moles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Colton Haas. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Production manager, Pavel Wydowski. Our associate producers are Rebecca Doyle and Savannah Dominguez. The show is edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Fabiola Cristina. Production assistant, Jessica Kranz. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright 2020. A group of Republican senators and congressmen try to save Trump by following a strategy that I suggested last month. Another famous racial minority turns out to be a white poser, and cops invade homes to break up New Year's parties. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values, and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick-charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. PureTalk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So... I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 